0: Hi, this is Ranching Reboot with Red Hills Rancher and yours truly CK. Today we have Clay Connery of Working Cows Podcast. How are you doing, Clay?
1: Good. Glad to be here. Thanks for the opportunity.
2: So, Clay, um, we just wrapped up uh, Working Cows 175, which came out a week ago. And this mm-hmm. is kind of part two to that. Um, so the theme of our podcast is talking is we're trying to talk to new producers. So tell us all your story, Clay.
1: Sure. I grew up on a ranch in Western South Dakota. Um, my family's ranch is about four miles from the Wyoming border, um, about equal distant from the Nebraska and the, the North Dakota border. So it's uh, extreme Western and then in the center of the state, North to South and uh, grew up on a, on a ranch that my parents started from nothing in the eighties and they worked town jobs Um my mom was a teacher, uh, elementary school teacher. My dad worked for uh, now it's called CenturyLink. Uh, when he started working for them, I think they were nor- Northwestern Bell, although he might have been there even before before the the Bell's telephone systems were broken up uh, by the monopoly antitrust or whatever it was in the 80s. Right. So uh, he was there he was there for uh, that and got his got his ranch started and by the time I left home Uh, There was about enough land for us to calve our cows on. And then they were on leased land for the rest of the year. So about 60 days uh, they were there uh, calving out. And then they'd go out to lease land in various locations for the rest of the year. And so I went away at 18 to Bible school, uh, spent two years there in Milwaukee, kind of getting a taste of the city life. I didn't have much use for the ranch uh, when I left home. Um, started to recognize some of the benefits of the rural lifestyle after living in the city for a couple of years, and not the least of which is is fresh air and (laughs) abundant sunshine and those kinds of things. So um, came home and got selectively involved in ranching for about 10 years. And while I worked on staff at a church and got married and had four kids and all of those things. And uh, so uh, was selectively involved on the ranch during branding and, and calving out heifers and those kinds of things. And then as the town job that I had kind of started to dry up, uh, became more involved as an employee of the ranch and that launched me into uh, right before, right at the start of that involvement on the ranch, I started uh, went to the High Plains Ranch Practicum, which was taught by Dallas Mount. And I got to run this past him. I said it was a an extension, Sanctioned version of ranching for profit, and he said, "Yeah, that's a that's an okay description of it." So I'll, I'll continue to use that, I guess. And so uh, that really blew up all my ranching paradigms. And um, we went, and I continued to be involved at the ranch for a couple of years. And then I couldn't support my family anymore uh, at the town job that I had, and so I found another job as a pastor of a little country church. And uh, we we purchased some land here. Uh, where I'm at in in less extreme western South Dakota kind of west central South Dakota Uh, and so I we purchased some land and I got to implement some of the things that I've been learning uh, through the working cows podcast over the last three and a half years of doing that and uh, so yeah just just got to implement some of those things in our first season of management starting in March of 2020 and uh now we're coming into our second season of management here in the beginning of 2021. So that's kind of my 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 ranching story in just a couple of minutes anyways. So
2: That's great. So tell me about some of you just mentioned some practices, some innovative new practices. So let's talk about those.
1: Sure. So uh, in in the in the spring of 2020 it started out with strategically unrolling hay. Uh, for my dad's cows because they were there to calve and I talked to other people about bale grazing while calving and they said maybe not such a good idea to put that much manure and urine in one place while you're trying to calve so uh, we strategically unrolled hay across the most abused portion of the land that we got and and by abuse all I'm saying is um, years and years of haying hay making on that land with no intentional replacement of nutrients and so there's evidence of that abuse is, uh, lots of, lots of plant spacing, um, not a lot of ground cover, bare ground, um, kind of a, a bit of a stunted growth curve, I would say in that general ground, lack
2: of fertility,
1: right? Pretty much general. And so we're trying to replace that, that fertility strategically, uh, by unrolling hay, uh, strategically across that. And then, uh, after that, after those cows left, custom custom grazing cattle came in, and that was, um, I just actually was forced to do the math at Ranching for Profit last week. And so I can tell you um, pretty pretty accurately that it was a 1.66 uh, increase over the NRCS stated carrying capacity. Wow. So uh, year That's one, amazing. we brought those cows in and brought, actually it was 54 yearlings and six uh, lame cows and then my own cows and calves to take us to about 70 animal units out there but the standard animal unit is uh, uh, not that many i think it's i don't know i don't know i i don't remember if it was 66 was the standard animal units with the 54 yearlings i could do that math again but and i have really
2: any, small cows too
1: right yeah yeah I, I i do i sold some open cows calf calves were just taken straight off of them and as open cows they sold at 1100 pounds. So uh, pretty, pretty small critters for this neighborhood, but uh, yeah. And then anyway, so yeah, we brought them in, moved them every day or every other day with a, with a hot wire and mobile watering tank. And uh, they, they left a lot behind even with the 1.66 carrying capacity increase. uh, They, they uh, left a lot behind and I'm looking forward to next year seeing some of the regrowth and what that happens. And then after they left, we went to swath grazing. My neighbors have to cross my land to get to the back half of their, uh, to the back half of their hayfield. And they, so they said, "Hey, there's like 13 acres of uh, alfalfa and grass mixed there." pretty good 50 50 split between crested wheat and alfalfa and they said hey we'll put that up for you as hay bales if you want and i said how about i've got enough hay bales to get me through the winter this year uh how about you just uh swath that down for me and i'll graze it in the swaths and they're like okay if that's what you want (laughs) that's what we'll (laughs) do and so uh we're like
2: why wouldn't you want us to put it in a bale (laughs) and put it in the shed for you yeah so we uh we
1: did the we did the swath grazing after the custom grazing cattle left, and um, I took those hay bales I was talking about, the aforementioned hay bales I was talking about, and I lined them all up. And right now, I've got cows and sheep bale grazing together. Uh, in uh, yeah, so I just kicked the I just kicked the ewe lambs back in with the sheep, and the weathers are going to the to the market on uh, Thursday, and so I've got last year's ewe lambs. And I've got cows, calves, um, bred heifers, all bale grazing, together with the sheep. Uh, right now, that's what's going on in my place right now. So,
2: you seeing any any biology stacking by multi-species grazing yet?
1: Uh, I don't know. You know, um, I live in a in an arid environment. Uh, 16 inches of rain a year. I live in a very, uh, in the, the soil I have is very heavy clay soil dominated. Um, once you get up on one of the ridges on the west side of my place, you'll find some, you'll find some, uh, silt loam type soils. Um, but most of my, my, my land is, is heavy clay soils. And so I think the, it's going to be a slow response. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to speed that up and Um, I was just having a conversation earlier today that part of the way to speed that up might be, um, you know, moving four or five times a day (laughs) at high stock density. So, uh, you have to figure out a way to make that work from a labor perspective, but, um, yeah. So, uh, I'm not sure what kind of, what kind of good or harm we did to the soil last year. we tried to do everything we could to only do good things for it. Um, there were a few mistakes here and there. But um, I, I don't know if, it, if I can tell you yet what kind of benefits we, we brought to the soil with those practices. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited for this spring uh, okay. to so see to see what that looks like.
2: What are some of the things you're going to be looking for next spring to see which way you're moving the needle, whether, whether you're moving that in the positive or a negative direction with your management?
1: Um, I think the... The way the growing season starts, um, the way the way the water infiltrates the soil or doesn't infiltrate the soil, Um, some of those things. You know, how fast does that growth curve get started? Um, How how long is it sustained? Um, Are there new species of plants, you know, the East end of that place that never got missed with a, with a cutting tool, you know, probably since they brought home the first double nine mower and small square baler all the way up until, you know, the, the 14 foot moco and the, the rake and the big round baler, you know, that, that place has been hayed every single year, you know, probably for the last 50 years. So it's pretty much dominated by a single single species of crested wheat. It's a monoculture of crested wheat, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, are we making gains? Are there new species coming in, um, you know, and in western South Dakota because it, it gets rain uh, at a similar time of year every year and that rain kind of shuts off in July. We don't have a lot of warm season grasses here, so uh, if we start to see some of those, I'll know that the water holding capacity is increasing and that water is 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 doing some good beyond the cool season grass growth phase and uh we're starting to see some of those things so encroachment of new species
2: when this episode comes out i'll actually be up in uh, in your part of the world later on in the week um for executive language the continuation of ranching for profit i don't want this to turn into a turn into a sales pitch for dallas because goodness knows <laughs> There, there's enough of it out there and there's enough of us that believe him. Um, but when I was up there, we were up there a few months ago back in November for a for first set of meetings. Normally our chapter meets in Colorado Springs, but COVID has displaced us to, to Rapid City, which was kind of a nice change of pace, a little bit longer of a drive. But uh, I'd never seen that part of the world. I've never been up through Nebraska um, until then. And I've never been to Western, never been to South Dakota period much less western south dakota and you know just driving in a rapid city was kind of interesting we spent a few hours touring around on the triple seven bison ranch which uh is a really wonderful operation Mort's espy there um maybe maybe we'll get him on the podcast someday Uh, he's a really really neat individual um and then when we left we went uh we left going to the east and got to see some some other parts of it and some of northern nebraska and the sand hills after driving through the sand hills, I kind of see why everybody likes that part of the world because it's uh, it's
0: beautiful. It,
2: it's nice. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm gonna keep my hills. I wouldn't trade my red hills for them, but uh, it, it's a really, really nice part of the world. So, as much as I hate to, you know, we're gonna go back and talk about Dallas Mount because he's he's the next guy on our schedule to interview. Um, and as we record this, we're gonna release this as episode zero. We already have five other episodes, so. Um, those of you listeners that are just joining us and starting from zero, you may notice a slight drop in audio quality, but I promise it'll come back by episode four. So Dallas was one of the guys that, that really promoted me and encouraged me to, to start my podcast. And, you know, I've been on your podcast several times, Clay, and every time, every time we talk, you, you keep encouraging me and, you know, I'm, I'm glad I finally did it and I'm glad I have you here. So why did you get started in podcasting?
1: Dallas Mount. <laughs> so I was taking the, taking the high plains ranch practicum class. And he said, you know, somebody in this room needs to start a podcast. And I said, you know, I was thinking when he was saying that uh, it's kind of one of those moments where your stomach flips like, Oh, that I could do that because I've if been around me. Yeah, yeah. I've been around recording equipment. I've been around websites. I've been around, you know, different versions, uh, WordPress and some other, some other websites. So I, I kind of, had the technical side wasn't as scary to me as it might've been for other people. Um, I just didn't know what I would talk about. And I'd already been a podcast junkie, you know, I'd already listened to lots of podcasts by that time. And so, um, yeah, dallas said somebody should start a podcast for ranchers and i'm like well i grew up on a ranch i can ask ask a semi-intelligent question about cows uh and i can do the technology side all i've lacked is a topic and a network and uh ranching for profit gave me that network or or uh, ranch practicum gave me that network and every guest you interview seems to drop the names of three or four more that that uh interview and add to the list and now the list is longer than than i'll ever seem seemingly longer than i'll ever get through and uh so it's been a been a great continuing education opportunity for me and and a lot of what i'm doing on my ranch right now is stuff that i learned through the podcast so uh been a been a good good experience for me
2: i think we're uh you know ck and i are both very excited to do this and you know we we, we've done quite a few episodes and put them together in the last couple weeks and it's like we're almost just burning up to to release and, and real excited about it. We want to keep doing it and keep doing it. Um, But we realize we got to pace ourselves and be consistent and and stick to a schedule.
1: Yeah. That's the most important thing in podcasting is consistency. So um, I think get some of the other big things out of the way, Uh, keep release releasing consistently and, and the the following will, will show up and we'll grow and we'll share and talk about it. So. Definitely a good strategy you've got there.
2: And earlier um, on the working cows portion, you mentioned that we have working cows 177, which is going to be coming up real soon, and you're going to do that live.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been a bucket list item for me for the working cows podcast is to to do an episode in front of a live audience. And so I don't know how many people will be there sitting in the seats to hear the interview, uh, but the 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 opportunity will be there, and I think I think that's all. Uh, I think that's all set. that That's how we're going to do it. So I'm going to start promoting it and letting people know uh, that they could come and and partake of that live recording because it's coming up uh, from you know when we're recording this, it's coming up on Saturday that I'll be doing that. So uh, it's an opportunity that I've been wanting to have, and and we're going to do an interview about local meat production, uh, local meat processing. And, uh, then hopefully after the interview, there will be some, at least a couple of people sitting there listening and they will have questions and we'll have an opportunity for a live, live Q and a, so kind of an exciting deal. It's the Black Hills stock show. So it's, it's a, a fairly good sized rodeo and, uh, they show all classes of livestock there. Um, beef pigs. Sheep, horses. Um, the main thing, of course, where we're at is the beef shows, and they've got a, a day for each breed, pretty much. I mean, not all of them, but they've got a Charlet day and an Angus day and a Hereford day, and so uh, there will be people there uh, that we get the opportunity. Uh, they'll be walking through the trade show portion of it, but there's a stage set up set up in the trade show, and so hopefully some folks will sit down, and hopefully there'll be some people who hear about it on the front end and they come specifically for that. And they asked some questions because it's been something that I've wanted to do for a long time. And it finally wormed my way into the opportunity.
2: <laughs> and maybe you've clarified this and I'm just a little bit confused, but that's going to be recorded in front of a live audience, not necessarily recorded and broadcast live.
1: Yeah, it might be broadcast live. Um, there are some there. Yeah. There's been some questions about that. The video adds a whole new wrinkle to podcasting. So yeah, um, you know, especially in a, in a facility like that, we'd have to have access to a reliable Wi-Fi signal. And then all I've got for a camera, uh, is, uh, just a webcam is what I use, uh, for zoom, zoom calls like this. And, and so, uh, I don't have a multi multi multi-camera system that I could set up and and all that stuff. So, uh, it adds a few wrinkles. Um, but, if they want to do it live as a broadcast on the facebook page for the south dakota farm bureau young farmers and ranchers i'm i'm willing to do that too but it's just something we'd have to consider the quality of yes i'm big on quality <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: I, I can understand Good. that but uh, doing it live and having it broadcast like radio show style um i've done that twice now with the extension 13 show um with everett and kj they're they're just a ball of fun and that's a two hour live show Mm -hmm. and uh, you get a three minute break every 30 minutes and that's Mm -hmm. it. I mean, and you just, you got to roll, you got to be ready and you just got to go with it. And it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun to do one live. Yeah. Yeah, I'd encourage you to try it sometime if if you get the opportunity, if you can't, you know um, even if it's not something you're going to do video, maybe at least try to release the audio live. I think that would be fantastic and it'd be a good experience. Yeah. I had a lot of fun doing it.
1: I've I've done a few of these uh recordings as though they were live. Um, you know, um with all the with all of you know, when I say the episode number first and then I go into my intro music and then I fade that out and intro the guest and then transition straight to the guest and and then bring in the outro music after the interview. So I've done a couple of those, and I'm I'm getting more and more comfortable with it all the time. But this will be the first one where people actually have the potential to walk by and sit down and listen in and and interact. So it'll be I'm sure there will be some butterflies there, but uh, it, uh, I'm looking forward to it.
2: Maybe it might be I uh, don't you know. It might be just as simple as having somebody out in the crowd with a phone and a good microphone to point at you and live streaming on Facebook and uh, in your Facebook group. Yep.
1: Yep. That's true.
2: And what day will that be?
1: Uh, it is Saturday, January 30th, I believe. Oh, nope, Saturday. Yep, January 30th. My daughter, my daughter, oh, yeah. my only daughter's birthday. So I only I have four kids, one girl. And, <laughs> Your uh,
0: favorite she, daughter.
2: daughter. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow. Birthday. So that one's already going to be, you'll already have that laid down by the time this comes out. Okay. Yes, sir. Yep. Great.
1: So you were mentioning that Dallas didn't need any more advertising and, and that brings to my, my <laughs> mind uh, the the disparity that I experience in some of the different circles that I run in. Um, you know, it seems like the South Dakota grassland coalition or ranching for profit or any of those names get mentioned and it's instantly full to capacity. And then, you know, some of the other organizations that I I'm connected to or try to try to start things for uh, try to participate in uh, it's like pulling teeth to get people to show up. And I think that just, I think goes a long ways to, to talk about the desire of those uh, of people for a different way of operating, and um, uh, a way of operating that starts with the premise of let's do this profitably, let's do this and and make money right. at it, and 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 increase the run it like a business, yeah, and increase the enjoyment that our family experiences as a result. I think so,
2: and that's key, you know, quality of life. Um, you know, I think quality of life lacks for a lot of people in the industry, you know, not just in the cattle Mm -hmm. industry, but uh, you know, overall in the, in the ag sector, I think there's a lot of people that suffer um, a good quality of life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it can be, I I think (laughs) one of the, one of the things that came to my mind the other day was um, you can either partner with mother nature or she can be your enemy. And if she's your enemy, I think you're going to lose. <laughs> uh, you probably aren't going to win that fight. And so sure. if we can structure our our businesses in a way that Mother Nature um, becomes a partner rather than the adversary, um, I think that we're setting ourselves up for a, a greater chance of success than if we're trying to uh, to fight against the way that this world was designed to work.
0: Right. so
2: can you tell me is there is there a myth about you that you'd like to debunk or maybe a myth about the industry that you'd like to debunk
1: (laughs) um myths about me i had the first question anybody asked me that recognized me at ranching for profit was uh do people treat you like a celebrity and i said no just go ask my wife i don't deserve that (laughs) she'll tell you that i don't deserve that so uh yeah, I don't know about myths about me. I haven't, I guess I haven't heard, uh, heard, heard much that uh, I, if you, if you have a specific one in mind, I, I can probably debunk it, but.
2: No, I, I will say it does. Uh, sometimes it is interesting the places that you get recognized in public. Um, you know, your voice is, you know, probably pretty recognizable. My face is all over social media all the time. So I get your recognized beard. in some, in some odd yeah. places every once in a while
1: okay. yeah so i was at a core Blund concert one time and uh i think i was having a conversation with a guy uh in the hallway waiting to go into the bathroom actually and somebody comes walking out of the bathroom and says clay conry i'm like you didn't even see me you just heard my voice <laughs> this is creepy and that was like really early on uh i think core Blund was episode 32 or something like that and i had interviewed him before the show and so uh somebody somebody recognized me and i was like man this is this is getting weird (laughs) so um myths about the industry you have a specific one in mind
2: no i not really
1: um well i think kind of back to that one that we talked about earlier um that it's hard to get started um granted i i do have a job that pays my bills but um i i think i have I have come up with a fairly reasonably sized sized scale business uh, model Mm -hmm. and plan that could replace my income, um, you know, and, and do it in six months. And so if, if you can replace, if I could replace my, my income with six months of hosting somebody else's cows on somebody else's land uh, that leaves six other months that I could do something else to to make up any any difference in in that, and so to I think. Miami that,
2: and record podcast. Yeah, on yeah the cows, beach.
1: cows, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> That's my my crop rotation. Cows, cows, Florida. So, um, no, I think that there's there's opportunity to get started if we're willing to think about what it takes to get started, what it means to be a rancher, if we're willing to think about those things a little differently. I think there's opportunity for sure.
2: I guess now that I think about it for a minute, um, the myth would be the myth that we can't feed the world with regenerative agriculture. Mm. And I, we touched that early, touched on that earlier in the conversation. And I, I don't think anybody can really sit down and do the hard math, but we don't even have a third of the number of head of cattle that existed as bison and there was you know when the bison were here there was just absolutely you know ridiculous amounts of grass you know under under natural management and i'm sure that you know people might want to debate about that um but the moral of the story is if there were three times as many bison as there are na- as there are cattle now it's a little bit disingenuous to say that you know we can't raise enough beef on the grasslands and the prairies to feed the you know meet the demand that we're currently meeting with uh, with the production kfo model
1: hmm. you know and i think that um i think it's lewis and clark and their expedition uh they talk about being able to tie the grass in knots over top of their saddles um in in some of those tall grass prairie contexts you know that's how much how much you know just biomass there was out there Uh, in those in those contexts under under natural management or under the fouling effect moving those herds on from one one place to the next and the uh, as alan savory posits the uh, wolves keeping them or the coyotes wolves whatever predators there were keeping them in tight bunches so that you get the herd effect and and the impact of the animal density and stuff like that so you know under that management regime, if we can re if we can recreate that with our own management using using uh, the hot wire as the predator and the fouling effect, you know, to move them on uh, to fresh ground every day under our own plan, um, then maybe we can see some of that increased production come back.
2: Be the wolf. Be the wolf with your poly wire.
1: <laughs> Yep. Yep. And I, you know, I, and I know there are people who have grazed without a back fence and the, the fouling effect works until a heavy rain comes and sanitizes the field. And then they do start to go back and try to, try to graze some of that stuff they grazed, you know, two, three, four, five days ago. Um, and so I think that that's uh, that's another opportunity to to reduce the if you if you live in a place like i do where you don't get a lot of rain <laughs> that's another place where you could probably reduce some labor and reduce some infrastructure costs but you're probably still going to need that back fence uh, at some point when when the rain is coming
2: and you know in a different year a wetter a drier year or a year where you have what you know some people are calling sun drought you know you have to adjust you know the management adjusts every year and the term that we've been thrown around in um, some of the other episodes that we've already recorded is contextually appropriate management and that follows mm-hmm. back to the sixth principle of soil health that we have to consider the context
1: yeah absolutely um you know i sat in ranching for profit with an individual from coastal texas who gets you know four or five times as much rain as I do in a year. And so what works in his place isn't going to work where I'm at and what works where I am, isn't going to work where he is. And, and, but we've got to, we've got to not look at that as something that we are a victim of our circumstances. we got to look at that as an opportunity. My, my, my context presents me with opportunities that his context doesn't. And, you know, I need to maximize the opportunities that my context is presenting me with and minimize the challenges. Um, but it's easy. It's easy. And I think it's the default setting for a lot of agriculture to to just become the victim of their of their circumstances, of their context, rather than uh, being as as ranging for profit would put it, accountable. And I was thinking while I was sitting there, I was thinking we could, rather than being victims, we could be victors. But ultimately, uh, if we're fighting mother nature, sometimes we are going to lose. And sometimes things won't go like we want to. But if we've got a plan in place, we don't have to be victims. We can be accountable. We can maybe even uh, border on being victors over uh, over those uh, circumstances and situations if we're if we've got a solid drought plan in place and we actually uh, get over the sentimental aspects of putting it into into practice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So what was uh what was your experience uh managing through drought uh Brian because I think I'm I'm about to be in the same
2: boat. <laughs> well. Well. Put them in one bunch, keep them moving. Yeah, you know, Try to stretch out your rest days in front of your rest days in front of your more critical. Um, right now, if you're facing drought, make sure you're adequately stocked. Um, you don't, uh, you mentioned a drought plan coming out of ranching for profit. I'd, I'd say having a drought plan is absolutely um, you know, a critical part of being in the cattle business. If, you, if you're in a cattle business and you don't have a plan for what to do in case of drought, uh, or your plan simply is you know, go start the feed pickup and start hauling hay. Um, that's not a plan. You yep. know, you need to have a plan on how you're going to manage your forage and how you're going to manage your livestock. And if you don't have enough word for the amount of livestock, you need to have a plan to identify that drought situation early so you can destock before your neighbors and still get a good price. Because if you wait till everybody else realizes they're in a drought, um, you know, you just might as well give them away.
1: Yep. Yeah, I've got an A herd, a B herd, and a C herd in place. Uh, the A herd is my sheep. The B herd is um, my cows, and the C herd is uh, the neighbor's cows. <laughs> so the first ones to go are, are those ones. But um,
2: So why are you keeping the sheep over, the, over all the cows, or the rest of the cows?
1: Uh, gross margin per unit is better. Yep. So um, I've, I've still got to figure out a low labor way to graze them at scale that's the that's right. on the to-do list that was the the number one thing on my action plan coming out of ranching for profit was a low labor way to graze sheep and uh, had a phone call today that i think is a promising promising option so i'm gonna look into that um yeah i'm
2: just so, gonna call dallas and tell him that he owes me a dollar for every time somebody says ranching for profit on this podcast
0: <laughs> i know <laughs> Those range maggots, though, right? They they are paying the bills. And I think it's crazy when, when people don't want to even entertain the option of having that species on their ranch or even starting with them. Like, it's sometimes taboo. It's like, CK, I can't believe you said the dirty S word. It's like, it's not all that dirty, guys. Like, I'm going to make you some money.
2: Like, well, you've had several great episodes of people talking about, you know, grazing sheep. And I remember there was one guy that had a good point about, you know we keep the sheep out the back to pay for the cows that everybody loves that you know then we put the horses out by the road for the tourists yep. and right. I, I think that i think there's a lot of truth to that and studying some of the history of of the land that i operate um it, it was paid for for sheep back you know 30s 40s and 50s
0: wow mm-hmm.
1: and i think that's i don't I i don't know that i've come across a place where that isn't true honestly my dad always told me that he said everything north and west of belfush south dakota where i grew up uh, was paid for with sheep and, and then i come out here and i'm east i'm northeast of belfush south dakota and everybody out here says well, this is all paid for with sheep. <laughs> and and a lot of them as soon as the as soon as the land and the and the livestock were paid for the sheep went to town and and a lot of them are were struggling with predators too uh, but there's are still right. places that are stocked at least 50% of their ranch is stocked with sheep uh, in here, but they're the ones that are running guardian dogs with their sheep. So it's a, it's a challenge. It's, they're, they're not as uh, an easy of an animal to graze as a cow is. Um, But it's a, it's a good business model, especially in my opinion, the wool sheep, but I'm in a place where wool, wool is worth something. To market time to come and do it, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, the Newell market at one time was the biggest uh, sheep market in the world. And the Belfouche, uh, the Belfouche wool market was at one time might still be the largest wool market in the world. So, um, you know, I don't have a, I don't have trouble finding somebody to come shear my sheep and I don't have trouble finding a place to take the wool once I've got it off of the sheep. A lot of people in other places I've talked to said, we, we shear the sheep and then we just throw the wool off to the side because nobody will take it and we don't, don't haul it far enough to to get it sold so it's not a liability where i'm at it's an asset so
2: just another little addition of that gross margin per unit line that uh, Mm -hmm. that probably really helps pay the bills so let's get into the sheep and cattle grazing a little bit um for the people that that aren't familiar talk about how sheep graze versus how cattle graze and how they compete for forage
1: um, as far as I understand it, n- there is no competition. Um, uh, they 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 graze enough different, uh, from each other that, uh, you can run one cow to one sheep and not notice any. And that's a very conservative f- estimate. As I understand it, you can run one cow to one sheep on your ranch and not notice any, anything taken from the cows by the sheep. So, um, same same internal gut mechanism for processing that grass, but they, right. they you prefer a little bit more uh lignified grass than than or or species of plant than than the cows do. So they go after some of the weeds. Uh and then goats are even farther uh on that on the other side of that. They're more they prefer the the woody species, they prefer right. um, the you know they, browsing. Yeah, you know, they prefer to browse more like a deer. Um, and so that's a, uh, an opportunity, I think, that goes unrealized in a lot of scenarios and might be another opportunity. Uh, so my, my business model, model, my preferred business model, what I'd like to get to is, is take about 50% of my, my ranch's stocking rate or carrying, my, my ranch's carrying capacity and have that be sheep there year round. And then bring in somebody else's cows for the growing season to take off the other 50% of the, the carrying capacity. And so then that becomes uh, the destocking strategy as well, is if the stock days per acre per inch of rain gets too far above that line uh, of what we're able to bear, the custom grazing cattle go, go first.
2: Go home to keep the forage available for the moneymakers. That's right. I like it. I like it. So, what are five things you can't live without? <laughs>
1: uh, I'll 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 answer the easy easy version of that. Miranda, Braden, uh, Calvin, Charlie, and Glover. Uh, those are the <laughs> my wife and my kids. Very nice. But, uh, um, as far as ranching is concerned, you know they are a, a big part of it. Um, as as the kids get older, I want to get them more involved, um, give them more responsibility. Uh, not just look at them as free labor, but try to train them to become uh, ranch managers if they want to, if they want to pursue that. Um, and so I want to give them those opportunities and give them, you know, responsibility. Maybe someday they're the ones that are responsible for uh, executing the grazing plan. Shoot, maybe someday they're the ones uh, responsible for developing the grazing plan. You know, uh, that's some that's some great homeschool math opportunity, if you ask me. But uh, so Uh, I want to give them, I want to give them as much responsibility as they want in that regard and, uh, and continue to challenge them uh, with their, with the opportunity to, to be trained as ranch managers. Um, You know, as far as tools, I can't live without um, my podcast has been a big, big continuing education tool for me. Um, The network that it has given me, I just got off the phone this morning with a, with a sheep Producer in in Tennessee on on my action plan coming out of the the most Mm -hmm. recent school that I went to if we want if we don't want to cost Dallas too much money Mm -hmm. here (laughs) is uh um you know one of those things on that action plan was to call him and say hey how are you grazing your sheep how how are you uh, doing this in a low labor way and uh, and so his answer was two hot wires is enough to keep a sheep in and. And I'm doing that right now on the bale grazing They're They're in three hot wires on one side. And then the other two sides are uh, electric net fencing. And so they haven't challenged that three hot wires yet. So I'm sure we could do it with two. I was being lazy this, mm-hmm. this fall on the, on the swath grazing. Um, I didn't want to build a two wire fence. So I was trying to keep cows and sheep in together with one wire. And if it was low enough to keep the sheep in the cows would step over it. So I just need to get over my laziness and and go build two, two wires for my sheep and, and get, get them contained that way. So that leads me to another indispensable tool. Um, a good, good fence charger. I, I run a, uh, stay fix x6i right now and the i is important because that comes with a remote <laughs> and oh, it's, cool. a, it's a six dual charger uh in it and i've had i've had up to a mile and a half of poly wire and i think five or six panels of electric net fence and then I've got a mile long, uh, high tensile spine fence. So I've had all of that hooked up to that s- uh, six jewel charger at once and still had eight plus nine, uh, 9,000 volts in it. Uh, so yeah, that's another indispensable tool. A good, good, good geared reel is another in- indispensable tool.
2: Say that um, again to make sure people heard that
1: a good geared reel that's a three to one geared reel so you don't uh, th- you know don't wear out your shoulder joint rolling up that reel um and um good poly braid um i actually do kind of like the um the six wire or stick six strand poly braid from power flex uh because you can get a half a mile of that comfortably on a third mile reel or on a on a smaller smaller geared reel So that's the same stuff I use for the
2: same reason. It's good stuff.
1: Yep. And, and I think you were the one who said it on my podcast. You said, if, if my cows think that that wire's hot, they'll stay in behind dental floss. And honestly, that's what, that's what that uh, six, six strand poly wire looks like. It looks like dental floss, but I honestly, uh, I think I can say this. Honestly, I never had a cow out or a, a livestock critter. No, I never had a cow. I never, never had a bovine out of a, of a, a, fence that was hot and, and I never ran them in more than one wire. I had them go out of the, the hot wire fence through the, through the four wire barbed wire fence. I did have that happen, but they didn't go out mm-hmm. through the hot wire. So in, we had, we had those animals there for 90 days on our place and, uh, they were never out of that wire when it was hot. So it's a, that's a great tool. I don't know how many tools I'm up to right now, but I'm going to keep going. Um, going. I think a transect, um, a a square, um, like mine's made out of PVC pipe, just some PVC pipe I had laying around from making my kids a roping dummy. Um, I made it into a transect square. I think it's three feet by three feet. And uh, then a long tape measure to run that that square through and a shovel to stick in the middle of that transect and, and see what the soil looks like. Um, So I I didn't get as many of those done as I wanted to this year, but um, I did get one done in a fairly crucial spot. So it was, it was some of the worst ground, the most abused ground that we had. And uh, so I'm looking forward to going back to that spot year after year. And one of the parts of that tool is the grass snap app i think it's i think it's available everywhere Uh, i got it on the store it's done by university of nebraska lincoln as far as i know and it'll gps tag your picture and it'll let you add a certain number of pictures to each each one of those places so you can go and look at your screen and see this is gps reading is the same as the one from last year and you can get right back to that exact spot and and take those transects to see some of the gains you're making so i think that that's those are some of the best. Oh, 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 my 1998 four-wheeler. I've got a 1998 Yamaha big bear. three fifty. Uh, saves me a lot of steps, um, makes the whole process of moving critters faster. And, uh, at this point it it's the, it's the UTV I can afford.
2: <laughs> you so. start where you are. That's right. So what are, uh, what are some of your cheat codes and hacks? that you've learned in the last three, four years and, and 175 episodes now of Working Cows podcast?
1: Regarding grazing?
2: Anything, grazing, life, cows, sheep. Sure. Share some knowledge. <laughs>
1: um, from a grazing perspective, uh, I think that the, oh man, I'm gonna forget what's the name, the, the Placin Quick Connect. I think those things are good if you're not moving your water infrastructure. Uh if you're going to move your water infrastructure, I would recommend um going with a uh going with a oh man, what's a camlock fitting? I'd recommend going with a camlock fitting if you're going to move your infrastructure because I had a few of those plastic quick connects kind of disintegrate on me. So I went to a, I think I I went with the aluminum the aluminum uh camlock fittings on all the stuff that I'm taking apart and putting back together regularly um, like every day or every other day. Uh, so I, that was, that was one of the things that I learned this year, um, made a big mess in a couple of spots that I'm kind of also looking forward to see how those recover (laughs) because, uh, very, very pugged up, um, stomped into nothing kind of ground. And so it'll be interesting to see how that comes back in, in the years to come. Um, other, other hacks, other things I have learned, um, the cows, they have a brain, and if we are willing to let them use it, they will do better than we can uh, at choosing their own forage. Now, that's a that's an advantage and a disadvantage because uh, we can have overgrazing and undergrazing happening in the same pasture if we let them go back and choose the best available forage uh, over and over again. But if we use that hot wire as the wolf uh, to move them on to the next spot, uh, they won't have the uh, freedom to make that choice of the best available forage over and over again.
0: Non-selective. Yep, yeah, non-selective
1: grazing. They'll they'll get to go out and uh, and as I saw, again uh, some of the cool things about this year's season of management was getting to see all the things that I saw people talk about on the podcast come to fruition. Like um, when we were moving every day or even when we we're moving every other day, they were just taking the top thirds of those plants and not returning for a second bite. And then we were moving them on and they'd go in and do the same thing over and over again, just taking the top third of that plant to the point that I, I think if I understood the day that I sat in the sale ring and watched those earlings sell, um, those yearlings that I had were the light cut of the replacement yearlings or replacement heifers. And I I think if I understood how that all worked out, those, those girls that were at my place uh, outperformed and maybe even outweighed uh, the ones that they had selected for the uh, replacement heifers who were the the bigger, better looking animals to start with. So uh, it was a good, it was a good, uh, good opportunity um, and it's not about me it's it's just about this style of management and it works if you're willing to willing to get outside of your box in your comfort zone to that zone of opportunity to learn that's that's where we go to learn things is outside of our outside of our comfort zone uh, we don't learn much inside of our comfort zone
2: right so earlier you mentioned something about and valves and you know I, I had a couple of um you know, I wouldn't necessarily call them failures with the valves. It was more of a more of an engineering failure that we had to work around. Um, I wasn't moving my Placin valves that much or my pipelines that much. It was you know about a once a week move or once every ten days is about how often we would we would actually move the tank and you'll break the plasen and reconnect it. But I can definitely see your point. If you're moving it every day, that that Placin, um will take a lot of wear. I did have one start leaking that I had to take out of service, but I had a fortunately I had a spare. So you're just talking about cows and heifers. Let's, let's talk about your ideal cow. I mean, you have, you've gained like some of the, some of the fantastic guests, like Steve Campbell, just a couple of weeks ago, I think that was 160. Uh, that was just absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. So what's your, describe your ideal cow or what would be, what's, what's your position agreement or job description for a cow?
1: Mm-hmm. It's a working cow, Brian.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: it's a cow. Interesting. It is. it is. It's a cow that goes to work. Um, it's a cow that doesn't, doesn't require a lot of uh, crutches, a lot of inputs to keep her on the place. Um, and honestly, I'm, I'm not smart enough, I don't think, to figure out when and, and where to put those crutches um, although I think there are there I'm having my own paradigms challenged in that regard. there are some times when supplementation strategically done and thought through can can really net some some good gains and some good positive uh, return on investment, but it, it doesn't need to be there all the time. We need to look at kind of the forage cycle on our place and say when is this cow going to be short on groceries? Do we need to supplement there? Uh, rather than substitute. Those are two different things. Uh, do we need to supplement there and and kind of give her the opportunity to perform at a high level? But again, that's a, a decision that has to be made uh, with some economic analysis and some some cash flow planning and, and different things like that. So, uh, but I want a cow that goes to work. I want a cow that uh, as as Jim Garrish says, Russell's her own grub. <laughs> um, I, and, and I guess my responsibility in that is to give her grub to Russell, And I think the best way I know to do that is to shorten the graze period, increase the rest period and continue to move to fresh forage regularly. And if I do that, if I keep fresh forage in front of her or maybe not even fresh, but well-managed forage in front of her, that's another thing I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, entertaining as a possibility is that idea of grazing it up uh, graze that graze that forage real lightly once and and get some of that um, get some of that energy into the roots and and see that energy come back come back out through the top in a in a low rain, rainfall environment like I'm in. Um, I'm still trying to work through. The best way to accomplish that, especially when we dried off at the end of last summer and have stayed dry all the way through the winter, um, this spring will tell what that's going to be like. But uh, I'm I'm entertaining the idea of a graze it up pass on the land that I want to graze uh, with the uh, in the in the winter the the stockpiled forage that I want to use. So, anyways, I think if I'm if I'm doing my part to keep uh, well managed forage in front of her. And in doing my part to keep water uh, accessible to her and, you know, salt and mineral, although that's another paradigm that I'm having challenged, I really want to get uh, some certain individuals on the podcast to talk about how we should think about water, or how we should think about mm-hmm. mineral and salt. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I haven't gotten them tracked down yet. So I won't mention any names, but uh, there's some pretty interesting ways of thinking about it. And it goes along with uh, Steve Campbell and the class that I took with him at the uh, Wedge Tent Angus Ranch uh, they put on the class and I went to that. So if I'm doing my part to keep well-managed forage and water and salt and mineral, whatever that looks like in front of her, um, then the rest is up to her, honestly. She needs to uh, bring a calf to weaning. If I'm doing my part, she needs to do her part and her part is to bring calf to weaning, stay in good body condition score and get bred on time for the, the calving period that we are going to put ourselves in. So um, if she doesn't do that, then she can find somewhere else to go to work is kind of how I think about New it. your job and,
0: code,
2: yep. <laughs> recode your job.
1: What, what, uh, what kind of, what kind of cow is that? I don't know. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. Uh, she'll, she'll prove it to me uh, by doing, doing the things in her, her job description, her effectiveness areas. uh, She will, she'll prove it. If, you know, she might surprise me. Maybe she, she's a lot bigger than the rest of my cows, but she comes in in good body condition, bred uh, with a calf at her side every year at weaning time. If she can keep doing that, I don't see any reason why I should tell her that she has to go work somewhere else.
2: As long as they fit within, you know, the phenotype you're looking for, And she does her job. They get a, they get a stay, they get a meal ticket and there's no point in keeping an animal that doesn't.
1: Yep. It's the, it's, it's what we're doing. (laughs) If we're in the cow calf business, we're in that business. We're not in the business of making excuses for animals who underperform. So
0: right. they can
1: do their part.
2: You build a lot of electric fence and you know, you've got a lot of recent experience with building electric fence and, uh, so, what's your best tip for electric fence? You know, you talked about your, you talked about your energizer that has a remote, and I'm a little jealous of that. Uh, it doesn't necessarily work for me because I have so many miles of fence, and I've got, I think, uh, I've got nine different chargers. So, eh, it's not necessarily yeah, but you have, practical for You have bat so. lashes. I have bat, bat latches. latches. I cheat. Those are cool. Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh,
2: so, other than the no, fence you're charger. Other than the fence charger and the remote, what uh, what's your best tip for electric fence? What's your best tip to keep that much fence hot?
1: Get it grounded right. I think that's the, mm. the, first, the first thing that you've got to do. <laughs> uh, Dallas Mount said, when you get that fence charger in the mail, it comes with an instruction manual. Read that because the grounding is, right. a, is a big part that people might take for granted or might not pay attention to. And and I think there's some grounding strategies that you can use, like putting your ground rod on the on the north side of a building where that water is going to drip off and, and it's going to stay cool because it's not in the sun, at least if you're in the if you're in the northern hemisphere like I am, uh, well into the northern hemisphere, <laughs> it's going to stay cooler on that north side of the building. It's not going to dry out as fast. It's going to stay wetter and get and get better moisture. Uh, more consistently and, and stay nice and, and moist and, and good contact for the ground. Um, I think push the push the envelope on post spacing is another one. Um, you know, I had a few times when my post spacing with, uh, with a step in post, I was using O'Brien step in posts um, with a step in post, my post spacing sometimes was in the neighborhood of a 100 feet and still still kept them in. Brian, <laughs> I was more, more comfortable with 60 feet. Um, and these are on spots that had been hayed forever. So it's not that kind of tells you something about the terrain of that land. Um, I really like the O'Brien step in post, um, especially in in contrast to its knockoff look-alike counterparts at the farm store. Um, don't you know, buy that, those, please. Yeah, please don't. You'll hate yourself. Uh, the, and I, and I heard people talk about that, like, uh, the three sinks, three sixteenths of an inch spade or, or spike at the bottom of that, um, O'Brien step in post. And it is actually high tensile. Um, that's a big thing that it's high tensile. It's a big thing that it's a three sixteenths of an inch instead of whatever the other ones are half an inch or five eighths. And then it's a big thing that, it's got a big tread plate on it to step in. So, uh, I, I didn't yeah. realize that until somebody dropped off some, uh, farm store versions for me and, and, you know, you're like, you broke said, them all. yeah, five eighths of an inch or whatever that, 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 that spike is in a tiny little tread plate, nowhere to step. Uh, you know, so those are, those are some of the things that I'm like, Oh, this really does make a huge difference. And, and right now, mm-hmm. uh, we're stepping those into frozen ground here in, uh, western south dakota in january and and having good success with it and even even this summer when we were hot and dry um never right. really thought to get uh, an o'brien step in post in the ground so uh, those are some of the things that i really really appreciated and and um got to see how well they actually work if you have good good tools, quality quality right equipment so the The quality of your equipment is going to make a difference. And uh, like I said, uh, I have Gallagher reels. Um, that was the first one I ever bought was a Gallagher maxi reel, even though somebody told me not to, and I should have listened. Uh, so now I, I like the third mile reel with a single hook and the lock. The lock is important. Mm-hmm. on Being able to lock them down. And, uh, and I, I do, I probably will continue to order the third mile reel with the six strand uh, power flex. So those I think that worked well enough Um, I don't see any reason not to order it and then I prefer especially if I'm going to start grazing sheep in just a couple of hot wires I prefer the uh, the O'Brien step-in post for like I said the the size of the spike the size of the tread plate all those things make a big difference they're they're legitimate quality uh, things that you should take into consideration when you buy them
2: and it has, you know, attachment points at various heights. Right. Yep. And I think, you know, whereas, you know, I use the Gallagher ring tops and you know, they are where they are. They're about waist height. And they're just kind of generally for cows. And if you want to do sheep, then you know, you need to look at a different solution. Those O'Brien posts, uh, you know the one dollar, dollar twenty five, you know, clone O'Brien posts at the farm store. I I made that mistake too. And I tell you what, if you're going to try to rotation graze or or run reels with those cheap posts, you will hate life. Like, um, it got down to where they're just kind of good for stress relief. Like, when I need to blow (laughs) off some steam, I just grab one and I go out and I beat on a tree and it explodes in a million pieces and I feel a little bit better.
1: (laughs) Actually, uh, our our local farm store is selling a runnings, or not a runnings, that's the farm store that I was trying to avoid Mm. saying the name of. Uh, they are selling a Gallagher multi-wire um, ring top post, so um, it's it's actually a Gallagher product, and it and it has clips going down uh, for multiple wires. So uh, there's there's people seeing the need for that niche, uh, uh, the need in the market for that to be fulfilled, and and they're they're starting to meet that demand. So uh, I think there's opportunity out there to maybe for some other other. Uh, players in that space but right now the two i know of are the gallagher uh, ring top with the multi-wire and then the o'brien step in post
2: great so i think we're kind of we're kind of getting close to uh to our time today we've been going for quite a while doing this crossover episode and it has been it's been a lot of fun so we're turn it over to you to ask a few questions What's your one tip for making the world a better place? Where can, where can anybody start to put that lever in to pull it to start to get, get some movement?
1: Uh, well, I'm a I'm a Jesus guy, <laughs> and he said that the whole of the Old Testament was summed up with with two things: love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I I focus on that last one. Uh, I think we have gotten so siloed in this country, and everything has been politicized. And so I, I, I go home and I turn on Tucker Carlson and wait for him to tell me who I need to hate today, rather than, uh, going out and actually meeting my neighbor and interacting with people, uh, in a, in a, not in a rally context, not where my, where I'm holding my sign up that says that person's dumb and they're holding their sign up that says I'm dumb, um, where I go out and I actually meet them across the fence and, and talk about actual issues. So I think, I think, uh, that's my, my, way to make the world a better place is to meet your neighbors and to get to know them as people before you know them as a political party, uh, adherent. Right. And, and, uh, I think back to what you were saying earlier about shake the hand that feeds you. Um, that's, yeah. a big, that's, that's an, just a, another way of saying the same thing.
2: Awesome. Awesome. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Clay, is there anything you want to turn around? SCK or I?
1: Ooh, man, we spent spent an hour doing that earlier. We did, didn't know. we? I, yeah, we did. Go <laughs> yeah. back uh, to the
2: beginning. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I, I thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I will say, uh, check out ranchingpodcast.com. That'll take you to the episodes page of the Working Cows Podcast. And every single episode uh, ever is on there, that I've ever done, is on there. And so there's there's bound to be a topic there that you are interested in currently Mm -hmm. and and you can find them. And if you've got suggestions for guests, you can find me through my website as well and send me an email and recommend some guests that I should be, should be talking to. So. Um, I, don't, I can't think of any specific questions right now that I would have to ask, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that you've started an, a new podcast. Uh, we, need, we need more. And uh, it's, I'm really glad it's you two individuals who are, who are starting this one.
2: Player, well, I really want to thank you for your encouragement and your support. Um, it means a lot to me. And, you know, we've had a lot of fun. You know, the last two hours, we've had a lot of fun with the, with the recordings that we've done that we're looking forward to releasing in the future. There anywhere before anywhere besides WorkingCows.net and uh, the links you've already mentioned that uh, you want to promote or any other resource or product you want to talk about real quick?
1: Uh, No, I don't think so. You know, I mean, I think we've we've done a pretty good job of 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 uh, promoting other stool that shall not be named again. (laughs) (laughs) Right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's like Lord Voldemort. (laughs) Don't give his name power. Kidding. We'll have to yeah. tell
2: him that when we talk in a couple days.
1: <laughs> no, it was a great experience though. Um, you know, even having the high plains range practicum and three years of this podcast as a background, um, plenty of new ideas, new thoughts, plenty of aha moments. Uh, my one aha moment that probably was the most mind blowing is probably obvious to everybody else. But when we have water that's running off of our place, because our, our water holding capacity, isn't up to snuff. Uh it's not just that we missed out on that water, it's also taking soil with it. And so we're missing exactly.
0: Out. You can see it. You yeah. can see it going off. Yeah.
1: All yeah. right. So that was kind of a, a little patch of Like, hmm, we're missing we're also losing soil at the same time. It's not just wind that blows soil yeah. away. That's what I think of here as wind erosion, but water erosion makes right. that even that most nutrient dense top layer of soil is taken away. So uh,
2: when you get up to the area where, you know, a four or five inch rain that comes in an hour barely makes the creek rise, it makes you feel pretty good about that. And then mm-hmm. you know, everybody else is cussing water gaps and
1: Yeah. yeah. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I'm not there yet on my place, but I look forward to getting there.
2: Awesome. I'm looking forward to uh to following along with your progress and watching you develop as a manager and and watching you move the needle into biology in your place. And guys, it has been so much fun. Um, yeah. Like I said, uh, CK and I, we've already done five other episodes. We're going to release this as episode zero. And next week, we'll be back rolling in with episode one with Hobbs Margaret. So, CK, with that, my dear, could you take us out?
0: Yep. Clay Connery at Working Cows Podcast, thank you so much for this amazing inaugural Ranting Reboot episode. We uh, look forward to having you again.
1: I look forward to it. Thank you.